Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. Australia's making headlines around the world right now, and not for a good reason. While other countries are busy vaccinating as many people as they can to overcome second, third and fourth waves of the COVID-19 pandemic, Australians, safely tucked away in our island fortress, aren't feeling the same urge to roll up the sleeve. So is it all to do with a false sense of security as our closed borders keep us from dealing with massive COVID numbers? Or are there other reasons why Australians are amongst the most vaccine-hesitant in the world right now? Today, we look at the myths, conspiracies and pressures stopping us from getting the jab that will ultimately see us return to the world we knew before the pandemic. Fear and complacency. These are the two words being used to describe the fact that many Australians are not in a hurry to get their COVID-19 vaccination. In fact, a recent survey has suggested that around a third of all Aussies are unlikely to get the vaccine, that level rising from previous months. But Dr Brad Mackay, our resident GP and the author of Fake Medicine, Exposing the Wellness Craze's Cons and Quacks Costing Us Our Health, says we should take those heavily publicised survey stats with a grain of salt. At face value, that about 70% of Australians are very happy to get their COVID vaccine or have had it already. But also the poll that was done was asking people if they thought that they were likely to get it in the near future. So this isn't really about vaccine hesitancy as such, but can also be about supply, where people are living in the country and how good their health is, what phase of the vaccine rollout they're in. So all of these things weren't really talked about in the survey, and it was just a blanket yes or no, are you hesitant or not, was implied. We already know that our rollout has been slow. The federal government promised 4 million of us would have been given at least our first dose by the end of March. Now, at the end of May, we still haven't hit that first benchmark. We know we've had some issues accessing those vaccines with slow delivery from overseas. But at this point, the government hasn't made it clear exactly how many of those initial contracted doses have even arrived here. We hear stories that states aren't delivering the doses allocated to them. And while the exact supply stats are murky, Dr Brad says he's had to turn people away from getting their dose because supplies aren't being met. The bigger problem at this point of time is really the access to vaccinations. So you can only get the AstraZeneca vaccine if you're at your GP. So younger people who are wanting the Pfizer vaccine, they will need to go to a major hospital or to a vaccine hub to get it. And 
some of the suppliers have been quite slow and delayed being rolled out at the GP clinics. So certainly my clinic, we've been delayed a number of times. We've had to cancel our entire list of people getting vaccinated that day and then having to rejig them to a day later on when the truck has finally arrived a day or so later. So it's more for us a supply issue. We have a massive demand. We have a list that's sort of blowing out over a couple of weeks for people queuing up to get the vaccine. My nurse is coming in on a Saturday if the delivery doesn't come on the Thursday, just to try to keep up with the demand that we've got. Whichever vaccine you get, it's still going to work very effectively to stop you from going into hospital and to stop you potentially from dying. So while a GP in the middle of Sydney struggles to get enough doses to cover his one list, governments in South Australia are announcing they're expanding their rollout to cover anyone over the age of 16 in regional areas, while the New South Wales government says they too will start giving the jab to anyone aged 40 to 49, also in regional areas. Some are questioning where these doses are coming from. Our federal government had also put a lot of faith in the AstraZeneca version of the vaccine even to go as far as to have it manufactured in Melbourne. But after regulators advised to restrict the vaccine to only those over 50 due to a rare blood clotting side effect, it's caused many to fear that they may be the one who gets the bad result. Dr Brad says it's the one thing he's most asked about. Usually when I'm talking to people who are over the age of 50 and saying, yep, your chance of having a blood clot would be about one in a million. We're also getting better at responding to it. So we know what drugs to give people. We know how to identify it in the hospital. So if you are going into the emergency department, it's very unlikely, even if you did have that clot, that you would die from it. Most people are pretty understanding of that and can sort of assess those risks compared to getting COVID, where they've got a much higher chance of dying from that a much higher chance of being on a ventilator, being in ICU. So uh, most people are actually quite happy to go ahead when that's explained to them with those risks. We're hearing all sorts of different cases about people who have got blood clots after having the vaccine and whether it's related to the vaccine or not is the big question. So with the vaccine itself, what happens is you get an immune reaction. Your immune system looks at your platelets and thinks that they look like the spike protein on COVID. Then your body goes ahead and then starts to knock off a lot of the platelets. It changes the shape of the platelets, them and then they collect in different parts of the body. So what we find is that they seem to accumulate around the base of the brain and one of the cavernous sinus that's there and also sometimes around the intestines. And so these are sort of like very specific areas and a very specific clot that happens. It's very common for people to get other types of blood clots. And so, for example, associated with the oral contraceptive pill, where people might get like a clot in their leg. If they've gone traveling for a long period of time, that's when they might get a clot in their leg or a clot in their lung. This is a completely different process to what's going on with the vaccine. And so we really need to be careful with what we're reading in the media because the clots are common. They happen to a lot of people all the time for a variety of different reasons. But this is a real sort of specific platelet problem. And if you're over the age of 50, then the chance of getting one of these rare blood clots is about one in a million chance. There are also some other wild conspiracy theories doing the rounds on social media in relation to COVID vaccines. The COVID vaccine magnet challenge has been gaining momentum online recently with videos supposedly showing people able to stick magnets to the site of their COVID injection. This is the arm I got... The thighs are shot in, and there it is. 
Dr. Brad says this one is using an older conspiracy theory about the vaccine involving Bill Gates that has been debunked by many since before the vaccine was even created. Certainly there's no sign that people are becoming magnetic after having a vaccine. I think this is really derived from the whole rumour that Bill Gates was putting microchips into every vaccine that's out there. And so the whole theory that your arm will become magnetic is that you've got a microchip implanted underneath your skin. But certainly I've been giving lots of COVID vaccines so far and I haven't seen any microchips. The needles that I'm using are really, really small. It's very hard to fit a microchip through a needle. What I've seen previously is really people using spoons and attaching them to their nose. It's using the power of your own sweat to attract sort of metal to your skin. If you've got a moist nose or if you've got a moist arm, you can put a spoon on your nose or you can put a coin on your arm, but that doesn't mean that you're turning magnetic or turning into a robot. The other scare tactic doing the rounds is a theory that if a woman sits next to someone who's vaccinated, something the vaccinated person is shedding somehow kicks off an immediate and sometimes violent menstruation. Certainly, like there have been vaccines in the past which use inactivated virus, for example, and there's a potential in some of the older vaccines for the virus to shed, which is sort of like if somebody's been vaccinated with it with a very weak viral particle, then it could potentially go to the next person. But with the COVID vaccine, there's no inactive virus like in any of the vaccines that we're using. We're only using the spike protein. So it's all like the DNA, the genetic material to create the spike protein in your body. Then that genetic material just dissolves. But there has been no shedding whatsoever because there's no active virus in the vaccines. So it's sort of an impossibility As far as periods are concerned, like sometimes when people will have a vaccine, then they might get a bit of a fever, you might get a headache, and some people do get menstrual changes. So it can sort of create an irregular period or get a little bit of abnormal bleeding around that time. That's for people who have the vaccine, not for the people sitting beside the person who has the vaccine, just to double check that with you. If you are getting a bit of a weird period around that time, if your body's going through a bit of a stressful time as your immune system is responding to the vaccine, then that's okay. Like it's not going to cause infertility. It's just a bit of a weird idiosyncratic response that happens. Just like having a fever, having an irregular period, it's okay. You'll you'll get through it. It's not going to have any further repercussions. Doctors and scientists are looking into the possible impact of the COVID vaccine on a woman's menstrual cycle but there's no evidence linking it to anything as yet. Some reproductive immunologists looking at it in the US say that women may be noticing or attributing changes to the vaccine because they're looking for anything that might be different due to the amount of press coverage on the matter and others saying they've had similar experiences. There is some evidence that postmenopausal women and people who take hormones to stop their periods, such as trans men, are experiencing some bleeding, but there's nothing to worry about as it's not a sign of any long-term harm. The reason the vaccine may affect your period is because the womb lining is part of the immune system and the chemical signals in the vaccine created to help us have an immune reaction to COVID may also be affecting our uterus lining. There's evidence that both the flu and the HPV vaccine do something similar. In the US, where pregnant women have had the choice to be vaccinated or not, there's been no identified increase in the risk of miscarriage unlike getting the actual COVID virus, which has been linked to miscarriage and preterm delivery. None of these experiences, though, are related to simply being in the presence of someone who's been vaccinated. 
In fact, Dr Brad says if they were shedding a particular part of this vaccine, it would actually be a benefit to everyone. Some people are saying that people are shedding the spike protein outside of their body. So on one hand, it wouldn't happen anywhere other than your bloodstream or in your white cells. Certainly not going to be spewed out into the environment in your breath. But even if that was the case and you were shedding the spike protein, that would be amazing because we could just immunise like one person and then they could immunise everybody around them. Some doctors say that side effects that particularly affect women are often overlooked and that the issue should be addressed further to ensure that these common side effects aren't a shock and then considered to be part of a larger conspiracy theory. Social media is also picking up these theories and spreading them across the globe, leading to reactions like the Aussie hairdresser, who said she'd no longer be accepting clients who'd been vaccinated to protect her, her staff and her clients. There are some who believe that the COVID vaccine is a mass sterilisation program organised by the global elites. You'll often find their videos online with the word vaccine misspelled so they can get past Facebook moderators. They refer to Agenda 21 or the Great Reset, claiming that they intend to kill off up to 95% of the world's population to reorganise who's left into a totalitarian regime for their economic benefit. These people are aligned with the QAnon conspiracy believers, many of who have now realised they were duped after Donald Trump was voted out of office, not having delivered on any of the QAnon promises that he would jail those elites. There is no evidence showing the COVID vaccines are killing people en masse. But what about the variants we keep hearing about? Will a vaccine created for the original strain of COVID actually even help us with the more infectious variants we've seen in the UK, South Africa, Brazil and India? Professor Mary-Louise McClaws is an epidemiologist with expertise in hospital infection and infectious disease control based at the University of New South Wales. Professor, will the current vaccine protect us against these variants? For the Pfizer vaccine, it does very well with many of these variances. AstraZeneca also performs well even with the B117, which circulates in England and has, of course, been out here. In fact, I think we've had nearly every variant that we possibly could have here through the Return Traveller program. But it doesn't do very well with the Brazilian variants, but there's a lot of research still happening. The South African one, the B1351, possibly can cause a reinfection. So this is the reason why people need to get vaccinated as soon as possible before there's circulating virus and before what can happen is somebody who's been partially vaccinated can have a breakthrough infection. And during that period, the virus is sneaky and it learns how to get around your partial immune response and can mutate. At least that's the theory. The vaccines have been performing so well, even in England, where they do have circulating B117, but now, sadly, they've got a circulating B1617, the one that we're seeing in India. And yet they're doing so well since the rollout, which happened in December. The decline in figures is very, very pleasing and goes towards really supporting the idea that vaccines work. There's been nearly a seven-fold decrease from December for infections. In the US, where they use both Pfizer and Moderna, 
it's more difficult to tease out the impact of Pfizer, but just the impact of vaccines since the rollout on December 23, they've had a 12-fold decrease. In Israel, where they've only used Pfizer, they've had a 237-fold decrease in circulating virus. So the vaccines work, they're safe, and it's important to get vaccinated before you have any circulating virus like we have at the moment in Victoria. What do we say to people who go, well, that's great, they've had very low numbers, but we've had none at some stages. And when we do get outbreaks, they seem to be quite restricted and low numbers compared to those other countries who've been very far ahead of us as far as their vaccine rollout goes. It does make it difficult for people to feel motivated to go and get a vaccine when we've kept our numbers so low. The authorities in Australia can't keep the country locked down forever. They will open the borders up and then they will have to come to a decision about what they're going to do with the quarantine program. I predict what they will decide is based on a vaccine passport of sorts, that when this happens, we still will get breakthroughs because we know that the vaccines have high efficacy, but there's always a proportion of people who don't develop an immune response and they can therefore inadvertently be a carrier and the spreader. So we will start seeing more infections when we open the borders. It will happen. And you don't want to be a person who's going to get sick. But worse than that, even if you can cope with that idea, you don't want to be the person that could potentially kill your elderly next door neighbour or your granny or your parents. It's that important. We get vaccinated, not just to protect ourselves, but with this disease, we get vaccinated to protect our society, our community. It is totally normal to be concerned about something that may affect your health. It's completely understandable to be worried about all the things we've been dealing with over the past year and a bit. Dr Brad says dealing with these fears can be tough. Yeah, I think it's really difficult. Um, So our own personal experience and our own gut instinct can be really difficult to overcome. It is often worthwhile like having a chat with your GP about it. If you've got other concerns, then certainly bring that up with your own doctor, somebody who you trust, who you've got a relationship with, and they'll be able to hopefully alleviate some of your concerns. But yeah, it is difficult to overcome the emotional world that we live in. Sometimes we do need to be looking at things a little bit more critically and looking at it through as much of a scientific lens that we can, but also we're needing to compare that to the possible problems from having COVID as well. And we can't just sort of keep on going as we are. We could have a breakout at any time happening anywhere around Australia. We're seeing little breakouts every now and again. I think a lot of people in Melbourne have seen the repercussions of that and having to go down into lockdown for a very long period of time. So we're wanting to avoid that. We are wanting everybody to be able to get back to relatively normal lives as soon as possible. A vaccine is the only way of really doing that. That's the quickie for today. This episode was produced by myself, Claire Murphy, and our executive producer, Siobhan Moran-McFarlane, with audio production by Ian Camilleri.
Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.